This is Brain Diet, episode number 50. I'm Taylor Ann Macy, and you are listening to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain good information. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 50. How fun is that? 50th episode. In the anticipation of this episode, I knew I wanted to do something awesome. So I decided to interview Drew Manning, today's guest on the podcast, and I am really excited to share that with you today. Before I get into his introduction, I just want to share with you some amazing news. Today, enrollment opens for the gym for your mind. The doors are open, people. So as a life coach, I've worked with many of you one-on-one and I love it. I love working with people one-on-one, but I don't have enough time in the day to work with all of the people that I want to work with on a one-on-one basis. So I have created the gym for your mind. We talk so much about what to do for our bodies, but I have created a place where I teach you what to do with your mind. So then you know how to treat your body in a way that is sustainable and healthy, okay? So I've built something that allows people to learn how to manage their mental health while they are pursuing physical health. Like if you're a person who's able to exercise regularly, really easily, but you find yourself emotionally eating, you can't stay away from certain foods, then this is the place to begin to understand what's going on and what to do next. All over health is such a puzzle. And many of us have the physical pieces down, but we don't even look for the right mental pieces to fit it all together. As Drew and I talk about in this episode, food does not solve for things long-term. It just temporarily numbs us. And in the end, that can be really problematic. So the course that is part of this gym for your mind, it's called the diet that has nothing to do with food, is precisely how we approach this. So you can enroll now for the gym for your mind It will be officially launching March 1st, okay? So doors are open. Get ready for some really incredible opportunities to take care of your mental health that will be launching March 1st. So when you join, you get access to the course, the diet that has nothing to do with food. You get weekly live coaching calls with me. You get access to me through a written coaching forum. You can ask me anything at any time and I will coach you. We also do monthly additional classes on all the different topics that contribute to mental health. So make sure that you enroll. This is just going to be jam-packed with all of the things that you can apply to your life daily to cultivate mental health, okay? So enroll in that. Let me tell you about Drew. Drew is a personal trainer and he is changing the fitness industry by promoting empathy first. So Drew gained 62 pounds in four months on purpose. And in this episode, we get into why and what he learned. He is a New York Times best-selling author. He is the creator of Fit to Fat to Fit. He has so much wisdom to offer, and he really challenges the current mindset that exists in the fitness industry today. It was really fun for me to pick his brain around something that is such a deeply mental and emotional experience. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. With that, let's get into it. All right, Drew Manning. Yes. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. <laughs> I we am... describe like <laughs> how we're sitting and stuff? <laughs> should, yeah, if we really did, it would not make it as powerful because it exactly. would sound a little bit... Um... We're in a professional studio. 
Very yes. high in studio. We each have our own microphones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> We're not on the ground. <laughs> yeah. So just pretend that's the, just picture that as you're imagining this interview, right? Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for being on the yeah. podcast. I really am so honored to have you and appreciate your time. For those that don't know of Drew Manning, what are you doing? Why don't you know about Drew Manning? <laughs> <laughs> Drew is such an inspiration. So in the last four months, you gained 62 pounds on purpose yes. and are now on the journey back to lose the weight. Now, if you don't think that that is interesting enough, this is the second time you've done this in your life. Second time. First time was a decade ago, right? Yeah, about a decade ago. Okay. So why'd you do it? <laughs> why did it? So let me start with why I did it the first time. Okay. Because then it'll kind of tie into what I'm doing a second time. Yeah. So I did it 10 years ago um, in 2011. Because I, here I was, someone who had never been overweight a day in my life. You know, I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters. We all played sports. I played football and wrestling. So for me, being in shape was something that was super simple, super easy for me. And then I became a personal trainer. And like I said, here I was, someone who had never been overweight a day in my life, trying to help people who were overweight majority of their life. And there was an obvious disconnect. I couldn't understand why they couldn't just follow the meal plans and do the workouts like they would keep messing up or not they wouldn't stay consistent and I'm like you guys it's so easy just put down the junk food go to the gym like it's not that hard you just do it <laughs> and I had one client tell me you know Drew you don't understand how hard it is because for me and for people like me it's really really hard but for you it's been easy your whole life and so for me that kind of clicked in my brain. I'm like, okay, maybe there's something I need to learn. So I did it the first time to gain a better experience of what it what it's like to be overweight for the first time in my life. So I put on 75 pounds of pure fat in six months. I stopped exercising, ate a standard American diet, you know, became obese, uh, technically. And it was one of the hardest, most humbling experiences I've ever been through. But I learned so many valuable lessons from that first experiment that, um, you know, ended up writing a book about that, the book, became a New York Times bestseller. The book got turned into a TV show. Um, and the biggest lessons I took away from that first experience, you know, I came out of it way more empathetic towards those who struggle with weight loss because I was probably more of the judgmental person. Like, dude, just stop eating the junk food. Why is it so hard for you? But I came out of it way more empathetic and my perception shifted. Um, also, I, I realized how much of transformation, and you know this, how much of transformation is mental and emotional versus calories, macros, workouts, weight, like all that stuff is important for the journey for sure. But that's all I knew how to focus on until I did that first experiment. Fast forward 10 years later, here I am, um, you know, as a 40 year old. And in 2020, I had this idea to do it again, because in 2011, social media wasn't what it is today. Social media has totally changed. And no, so, so not a lot of people got to see the journey as it was happening. They heard about it, but no one really got to follow along as it was happening. So with everything going on in 2020, you know, as we all know, the pandemic and quarantine and all kinds of division in this world, I thought, why not do it again a second time, but make it more powerful, more inspirational, more educational, more impactful, because I really feel the fitness industry, which is an industry that lacks empathy, needs more empathy and I feel like this is my chance to get my message across of the importance of empathy in the fitness industry because no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care so I see it all the time with trainers and coaches and Instagram you know influencers you know 
telling people how to get in shape, but it's all about the physical, right? No one really leads with empathy. And I feel like empathy can be a game changer in this industry because if people feel like they're understood, they're going to be more willing to listen to the advice that that trainer is giving them. And so that's why I want to bring more empathy to the fitness industry. So that's the main reason reason I'm doing it again a second time. The other reason is because, like I said, I'm 40, and we know you're not even close to that age, but <laughs> there's a lot of people <laughs> that age that tell me all the time, like, it's harder as I get older, and my metabolism has changed, and my hormones have changed, and it's I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I wanted to inspire that demographic of that age group to say, hey, look, I'm going to do this too. I'm going to put myself through this process. Let's do this journey together. So those were the main reasons as to why I did it the first time and why I did this again. Yeah, that's really powerful. What do you think the difference was? Like if you could say, if you could contrast Mm. the two experiences. The first time around was all new to me. Like I had never experienced being overweight. So that first experience was like, oh, this is what it feels like. Like this sucks. This isn't fun. Like this is really hard. Um, But also I I was such a different person back then. Like I was 31 years old. I was married. I was Mormon. I had two little kids. I was just in a different state of mind back then. Yeah. So all that, that first experience was so new to me. Now I'm 40. I'm divorced. <laughs> My daughters are nine and 11 and I had the experience. And so I went into the second time kind of cocky, to be honest with you, like, oh, I got this. I know what it's going to be like. Like I, you know, it's not going to be that hard. I've been through it before and I know what to expect. And then once again, I was humbled in a different way because this journey was way more mental and emotional than I anticipated it being. And it affected me way more this time around than I ever imagined it would. And this Mm. is why this journey was so much harder than the first one. Um, because the first time around I wasn't as self-aware. Yeah. I feel like this time around, now that I have that self-awareness, it comes with the price of the highs can be really high, but the lows can also be really, really low. And I probably hit my lowest point in my life in the middle of this journey and I feel like unfortunately I had to go through that but on the fortunate side I learned so many valuable lessons and it's going to make me a better human it's going to make me a better man it's going to make me a better coach and trainer because I went through that yeah what did your dialogue with yourself look like as you were going through this and especially at these low points like what was happening in your head man that's a really good question well, I should probably tell people what like what was happening so there's some context sure. behind that yeah. because obviously that wouldn't make sense. But I, I went through a breakup. Mm-hmm. I went through a breakup with my girlfriend of two years during this journey. And I even, we even joked that I was going to make her sign a contract before the journey started that she couldn't break up with me. <laughs> and so I didn't expect that to happen. Going through this journey, like I said, I was more self-aware. So I realized... As I'm eating this junk food, right? Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Hot Pockets, pizza, mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, like all the delicious food, right? I'm eating all that stuff. It feels good temporarily, but then it carries over into how I sleep. And so my sleep is affected. So I was tracking my sleep on my Whoop uh, strap and my sleep started to decline, my sleep efficiency. So even though I was sleeping eight hours, I would wake up exhausted. Yeah. And anyone, any parents out there that have have a newborn baby, you know what sleep deprivation is. You know what it does to you. You're not the same version of yourself. You're in survival mode all day long. Your ability to handle stress is severely diminished. And 
you're not the same version of yourself. Like, I'm sorry, you're not. Your hormones are changing. Your cortisol's through the roof. Your testosterone's dropping. Like, for me, that was huge. So even though I'm aware of, like, okay, I'm aware of the, all this stuff that's happening, I still couldn't control my emotions. I couldn't control sometimes I'd be reactive or less patient with my kids or with my girlfriend. And so, anyways, we went through the breakup. And like I said, the lows were really low for me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, on top of doing this journey, it would have been hard by itself, like if we just broke up and I was healthy, but being physically unhealthy and mentally unhealthy and going through a breakup was like the lowest point. And so what I would tell myself to push through it, honestly, this is what is so interesting, is I would, and this is why I have so much empathy for people who emotionally eat. Like, honestly, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, it temporarily made me feel better. Yeah. And so I was sad, I was lonely, I was heartbroken. And in those moments, Ben and Jerry's physically made me feel better. Right. Temporarily. It right. made me feel worse a few hours down Had the road. Had a negative consequence <laughs> yeah. in the end. But, but in that moment, wine, dessert, some type of like dopamine hit yep. felt amazing for me. And so in the beginning, I was eating to gain weight. Yeah. And at this point, I was eating to numb my emotions. And so this is where it clicked for me. Yeah. This is what people go through. This is why it's so hard to break that cycle because we train our brain to reach for the alcohol or the ice cream or the cake or whatever it is in, in those moments of feeling that emotional pain because we don't want to feel pain. So yeah. what can I do or take that will help me feel better in that yeah. moment? I'm so glad you brought this up because this is such a crucial part of what I do in my practice is, I mean, the bottom line is feeling your feelings, right? Because we do get this dopamine hit from food. We feel an emotion. We don't want to feel it. We know that this substance outside of us will solve for it temporarily, even though down the road, there's the net negative consequence. But because this dopamine hit, like our brain craves that because Mm -hmm. it doesn't want to feel an emotion, right? So part of learning how to change your body is learning how to feel your feelings. Yeah. I mean, as much as that sounds so simple, that's really what it is. Because if you can feel your feelings instead of eating, yes, it's, it changes everything, right? Yeah. So as you move forward in these upcoming months as you're going to take mm-hmm. the weight off, yeah. what's that going to look like when you're feeling your feelings? How do you do that? That's a really good question. So a lot of the techniques I use are to help train people's brains to, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. So there's little things that I have people do, um, such as making your bed every morning and being perfect with that, yep. right? And making sure you do that. And that for some people can be hard. Like some people just don't make their beds and it's like, okay, this isn't, it doesn't give you a six pack. Or it doesn't make you lose weight. Yeah. It's a mental discipline thing too. Okay. I'm going to do something that's maybe uncomfortable for some people. The second thing is take a cold shower. Cold showers suck. You know, I think you <laughs> don't like cold no, water. Thanks. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but what it does for my clients is, okay, what, I have them start out warm and then go in there for 60 seconds, mm-hmm. okay, and turn cold at the end. Yeah. It sucks. It's hard. It's not comfortable. But if I can get someone to train their brain to slow down their breathing and somewhat be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation, that can carry over into moments of emotional eating where you're uncomfortable sitting with those emotions and that pain, but now you're starting to train your brain to say, okay, I can be comfortable with this. And then the other thing is meditation. Meditation for me is one of those things that builds that self-awareness so that you become the observer of your thoughts Mm -hmm. so that in those moments of being triggered, like the emotions are going to come up, they're going to, they're not going to go away. 
we can sit back and observe like a movie playing out in front of us as of like, okay, all this stuff is happening. This, this, these emotions are coming up and my brain is telling me to go reach for the ice cream. Yeah. But now that you're more self-aware, you're the observer now. So you're, you can be more in control and more thoughtfully respond instead of just be so reactive. Yeah. These kinds of little things. I'm not saying it's a fix all and it fixes everything 100%, but it definitely makes a difference in helping that person build that self-awareness. So maybe they are more self-aware, but they still reach for the ice cream, but they're aware of it. And my hope is that over time, they start to choose the the better decision in that moment instead of just react. Yeah. So as long as you're just not reacting like a robot, mm-hmm. that's the, the key to success in my opinion. For sure. And I think that, that really sense? is such a powerful point because we can't make any change until we are aware of what's currently happening in our heads and emotionally for us. Because if yeah. we're not really aware of that, then we don't know what we're working with to try to change or fix or alter. And, um, I think that what we tend to do is we might feel an uncomfortable emotion and the emotion itself isn't that big of a deal. But when we start to be like, Oh, this is a problem. I don't feel it. We we layer on all of this unnecessary suffering. And that's really what makes it so difficult and so uncomfortable that people don't want to feel it. And so I think that that's such a beautiful point to mention that self-awareness can be such a game changer yeah. in allowing you to just recognize, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable or, oh, I'm feeling stressed or, oh, I'm feeling anxious yeah. and it isn't a problem. Like I'm willing to embrace this discomfort as a part yeah. of being a human. Yeah, I think that's the hard part is we've trained our brains or we've created a society of comfort. Right. Like if you're cold, you can put on a jacket, you can turn yeah. up the heater, you can take a warm shower, right? If you're hot, you can turn on the AC, you can, you know, get some ice out of your, you know, uh, where whatever you want to make you feel comfortable, society will create something to make you feel comfortable. And so it's really hard for people in 2021 to sit in a situation where they're uncomfortable. And I think humans have kind of, you know, um, gotten away from that. And Mm -hmm. so any kind of discomfort, oh, I got to exercise, that sucks, that's uncomfortable. Like that's not fun to be sore, right? Or, oh, I have to be hungry, like I have to eat less calories, that's uncomfortable too. And so I think it's time that we learn to retrain our brains to become comfortable in these uncomfortable situations. Now, putting that into like a real life application, like when I do feel lonely or sad because of the breakup still and I'm eating healthy now, salmon and broccoli don't do that trick for me. Like I don't care how much <laughs> salmon and broccoli I eat or how good it is. It doesn't work for you? Is. That's <laughs> shocking. I know, it's crazy, right? Um, I do have to sit with those emotions and be stuck in an uncomfortable situation, even though that those foods aren't doing it for me. But here's what I tell people all the time is like the cravings never really go away. They become more manageable over time to where you're more in control, but just realize that you're not always going to be perfect and that's okay. Like, yeah, that's the problem is like, even when people meditate and they become more self-aware and maybe most of the time they're making good decisions. Sometimes it's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm still going to have the ice cream. I don't care. Yeah, I'm meditating. I'm more self-aware. But in this moment, I'm going to choose the ice cream. And then don't beat yourself up over it. Just let it be what it is. Yeah. Don't attach a meaning of like you failed or you are a failure because you let yourself have ice cream or totally whatever it is. Right. And I think that's such a crucial part of anyone that's going through a weight loss journey is that you will make mistakes and it is so important that you recognize what you are making them mean. Because if you do start to beat yourself up over it, it doesn't accomplish anything. There's no upside to doing that. As much as we think that's going to help us improve and be better if we talk terribly to ourselves when we make a mistake, it (laughs) really does the opposite. And so I think, again, that comes back to this idea of self-awareness and um, really understanding what's going on with us before we decide what we want to make it mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you made a good point as well 
that in today's day and age, 2021, our well, our brains are designed <laughs> to the motivational triad, right? To seek pleasure, avoid pain, and take the path oh, yeah. of least resistance. 100%. So yeah. that was the way that our brain functioned hundreds of years ago and worked very well. It kept us alive, right? And so yeah. now in this modern day and age, when we have so many false pleasures available to us, our yeah. brain's like, this is great. This is going to help our survival. This is really going to solve all our problems. Yeah. And um, understanding that, I think, is such a powerful tool, recognizing my brain believes that this is going to be useful for me to numb myself away from my emotions yeah. by using food, when in reality, it's we have to just manipulate the, the way our brain works so that we can work it in our favor. Yeah, and society kind of condones that behavior a little bit. Right. Like it kind of pushes towards like, like right. oh, it's Friday have have a cheat yes, meal or yes. hey it's a birthday have a cheat meal or hey it's this it's national donut day we got to mm-hmm. have donuts on national donut day that's what society tells us right. i saw the meme that means we have to <laughs> you know what i'm saying like so you know you have peer pressure too from society saying like why are you eating so strict like that's so boring like why can't you why can't you just be more fun and eat yeah. you know all yeah. this food it's like that's the hard part too is it's, it's an uphill battle now what this society we've created mm-hmm. because let's be honest you know unhealthier food tastes better it's more affordable it's cheaper Mm -hmm. and it's more convenient like man when i did this thing for four months and gained 62 pounds it was so nice to be like oh i'm hungry oh i'm at the grocery store let me get these peanut butter m&ms let me get you know this turkey sandwich or let me get like mcdonald's or whatever like it's so convenient like that's the way society sets it up and so i get why people struggle and what like, like I'm trying to say is this is the type of awareness I'm trying to bring mm-hmm. to the, this industry is like, look, it's not as simple as just eating less and working out. I yeah. know like we like to think that, but people struggle. People's struggles in the fitness industry with physical transformation is way more mental and emotional than people think. Yes. And we have to be more aware of that and have more empathy for people and not judge them just thinking, oh, you're lazy or you know, you're less than because you can't Absolutely. figure out how to lose body fat. Well, and that was something that you pointed out in one of your Instagram posts was that you are not your body. And I think uh-huh. that people really tie their worthiness, their capability to their physical appearance. And I mean, can you speak to that? Yeah, 100%. So I had to learn this through my first experiment that I wouldn't say so much that we are not our body. We are more than our body. That's kind of what my philosophy is. Yes, okay. The problem is that our society attaches so much value, so much emphasis on our body image. Mm -hmm. And at some point, maybe as a kid, someone was teased because of the way they looked, like the way, you know, how much fat they had. And at some point, we buy into that myth because as a kid, we don't know any better. People are teasing me because of my weight or because I look this way. And you feel bad about yourself. And so you're like, well, I better conform to what society is telling me to do because it hurts. It hurts. So I better change. I need to. So there's this constant need for like wanting to be better and wanting to change so that society loves us. And people, yeah, people that look like Instagram models are like worshipped. Yes. Because of their, the way their body image is. Mm Mm-hmm taking a step back, let's pretend we're like aliens for a second, we're looking back at these humans, like, man, they're so focused on like (laughs) being 5% body fat Mm -hmm. and they beat themselves up if they have a cheat meal every now and then. Is that really the most important thing? It's like, do you want to leave a legacy of like, wow, that person had really good abs. Like that person had like really low body fat percentage their whole life. Right. That's amazing. Is it really that important? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So what I'm trying to make people more aware of or understand is that they have more to offer this world other than their body. And so maybe, maybe it's not the most important thing to have this awesome, amazing looking body. Now that doesn't mean you shouldn't take care of your health because there's this body positivity movement happening, which is 
I get why it's happening because I feel like we've gone from one extreme and now it's like time to fight back and say, hey, we can be healthy too or we can love ourselves in a bigger body. But I think health, like taking care of your physical health is a form of self-love. Getting to 10% body fat and trying to look shredded and like, like hating yourself to look that way is not a healthy behavior either. Yeah. I really am so sense? glad you absolutely. Like, down there, oh, yeah, you're good. Um, I'm so glad you said that because <laughs> I think that there are two ends of the spectrum right now. There is the physical obsession of extreme where all of your value is rooted in what you look like. Yeah. But then there's the other end of the spectrum, this body positivity movement. But I think that sometimes it can be misconstrued because people instead are like, well, screw it, I shouldn't care what I look like, so I'm going to eat the cheeseburger. Exactly. And so I think that's where we have to examine like somewhere in the middle where there really is, we are taking care of ourselves or even losing weight because there's been a lot of like, um, you know, screw weight loss type of thing. And I do think diet mentality is not useful for people, yeah. but I think that <clears throat> there's also some shame with people that are wanting to lose weight, which is so interesting because it's going both ways now. Yeah. So what do you think that happy medium is? Yeah, I think the focus for me that I'm trying to make people more aware of is self-love versus self-hate. Like if yeah. you hate yourself too skinny, this is the problem with the diet mentality, is if you're hating yourself to skinny, that's the problem that I have with the diet culture right. or the fitness industry. Yeah. If you learn how to love yourself and be fulfilled now, like let's say your body's not perfect, let's say your body isn't where you want it to be yet, um, but if you learn how to love your body now, while you continue to work on a better version of yourself, you will see that self-love includes doing hard things. Self-love isn't eating whatever you want, whenever you want. Self-love isn't not moving your body because it's hard, because it, you'll, you'll get sore muscles. Self-love requires a little bit of discipline to prove to yourself that you can do hard, amazing things. Like you were given this body that can achieve so many great things in this world, and you never really know like what it's able to do unless you push yourself. And so for me, if you, like for example, if you don't take care of your physical health, you could love yourself all you want, but if you have type two diabetes, if you have a stroke, if you have serious health issues, that freedom that you thought you had is now gone. Now mm -hmm. your life is more restrictive and now you're more miserable because you're not taking care of your physical health. Do you need to go to the extreme of like CrossFit six days a week and like eating a thousand calories a day to fit into society? Um, no, I don't think that needs to happen either. I think there can be a happy, healthy balance where maybe you know you don't need to kill yourself to get six pack abs, but maybe you love yourself at the body you're at, but you're eating healthy food. You're exercising in a way that feels good to you. For me, I feel like that is a form of self-love and that's kind of like my hope and that's what I'm trying to you know disrupt the fitness industry by doing that yeah and I think that really is so it's such a contrast to what currently exists because you do have people and trainers out there that are just giving diets and exercise plans and saying like okay follow this and you'll get what you want but there's no focus on what's driving all of it because if it's being driven from self-hate it's just going to be you're still going to hate yourself. Right. Even right. if you get the body. Right. Exactly. It's I not know. the body that makes you love yourself. It's yeah. all what's happening in your brain. And so I think that is, is something that really needs to be understood in the weight loss industry, fitness industry, like everything in that realm. I think it's, it's, that's a really powerful thing to be able to teach and to yeah. share. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what else you got? <laughs> what else we got? Um, so I'm currently on the journey back to fit, like you mentioned. Yep. I have uh, I'm only a week and a half in, and this is the interesting thing: is like 
it's such a humbling process to go from, cause you used to see, you know, like what I used to look like. It's hard to go from that and then to be in top shape to now, like, um, I had a girl come up to me at the gym afterwards and she's like, are you doing the fit to fit thing? She's like, are you losing the weight? She's like, man, to be, and she just had a baby like four months ago. She's like, don't take this the wrong way, but it felt really good to see you struggle during the work. She's like, I saw you trying to do those pull-ups and you couldn't get up. She's like, that made me feel so good, <laughs> like about myself. And she's like, and I saw you trying to do side plank and like take breaks. And she's like, that made me feel so good about myself. Cause like seeing you struggle, she's like, I, I know you used to be in shape. And so this part of the journey is such a humbling process. And I think, I'm not saying everyone needs to do fit to fat to fit cause I'm not <laughs> recommending that. I think you probably, women experience this with being pregnant, you know, you sacrifice your body in a sense to create another human. I didn't have a baby at the end of this, but, <laughs> but it is good to go through a humbling experience like that because yeah. you see things differently. You right. can become more empathetic towards people and not so judgmental. So I think there's power in that. And that's kind of what we did on the TV show where we brought trainers on for two seasons and these are trainers who used to be like me, very judgmental, like ripped and shredded. And like, mm -hmm. you know, that's cool and all. But then when they went through this process, they all went through the same emotions. They were crying. They were sad because they lost their body image. Yeah. They were attached to their body image as their self-image. And to see them go through that humbling process and then realize that, hey, we are more than our bodies. And to be more empathetic towards their client and then to see their client respect them so much more. I feel like this is something that can really disrupt, not just this industry, but if we can have more empathy in this world right now, we need more empathy more than ever. And so for me, that's why for me doing this crazy experiment is worth it in the end because I'll, like, I think doing something crazy sometimes catches people's attention, yeah. but then hopefully it motivates them to make a positive change in their life. And so I'm trying my best and yeah. we'll see. I mean... We'll see if it's harder for me now that I'm 40 to lose the weight. Well, and whenever I discuss goals, whether it's on the podcast or with my clients, we always talk about who you have to become to achieve the goal. Because we think like if I just willpower my way to the yeah. weight loss, I mean, that results in self-sabotage to get you back to where you were. You have to become a new version of yourself, yeah. evolve into that in order to achieve the goal. And I feel like the evolution into that version what comes like the goal that comes is just an awesome byproduct of the discomfort that you've embraced and the change that has happened. So as you go through this like journey in these next couple of months, what do you think has to be different? Who do you have to become? How do you have to yeah. think? Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned this before we started the podcast about, um, you know, it's not about so much hit, like the goal and like right. hitting that goal. It's about who you become as you try and work towards that goal. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, Miley Cyrus, <laughs> you know, it's all about the climb, <laughs> you know, like who you become during the climb. And this is another perception I'm trying to shift uh, with people's perception of what success looks like. Cause mm -hmm. we think success is to get that body. Like once I have that body, then people will love me. Then I'll love myself. Then all my problems will go away. Then I'll be happy. And that's kind of like everyone's goal. If you can learn. And then what happens with that goal is they, they, they're doing it for the results only. So they put up with this process that they hate that sucks for them. They're like, Okay, I'll put up with this process, but only if I get the results. And if I don't get those those results, then why am I doing this process? Why am I eating healthy food? Why am I exercising? I'm only doing those things because I want the results. And this is the problem is people go on a journey for the first month. They're like all about it. No sugar, no alcohol. They're like, I'm going to go to the gym every day, get ripped. 
and then they don't see the results in a month and they're like, well, what's like, that's not even worth it. Like I'm doing all this work, you know, for little results. And then they quit and they go back to their old ways. And that's the problem with people's perception. If you could shift that perception and realize that, hey, you're worth it to be physically healthy. You're worth it to fight for your physical health and learn to fall in love with the process, eating healthy food, exercising, all those things that we've talked about. If you can learn to fall in love with that process because you're doing it out of place of self-love because you're worth it to fight for your physical health by doing those things, then guess what? Those results become a byproduct of living that healthy lifestyle over time and you're not doing it more as a punishment or, you know, I have to do this to look good. That's the shift in perception where it becomes a lifestyle instead of just another diet. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so that's kind of what my hope is, is helping people uh, on this journey. You know, I have a lot of people in, in my Facebook group who are, you know, doing this journey with me. And I've seen a lot of people like five days in, I gained a pound. This isn't working. Like I'm like, they're like freaking out over a few days in and they're like, I'm not seeing these results. So I, I decided to have ice cream and, and chocolate and wine. I'm like, this is going to be a long journey for you. If you're only doing this and you're already weighing yourself like five days in and you're already beating yourself up, it's going to be a long, hard journey for you. And you're not going to be fulfilled. You have to learn to be fulfilled now, which is why I'm such a big fan of like a gratitude list, like a daily gratitude list. Like right. start training your brain and rewiring your brain to look for things that you're grateful for. Yeah, I think that you are spot on where people that approach it with a results-based mentality, it's just going to be a miserable battle that you're going to lose. Yeah, And so I think that focusing more on who you want to become like a person that's disciplined a person that's committed a person that loves themselves like that's the real work it has nothing to do with the macros or the food it has everything to do with what you are believing about yourself and believing about your abilities and you know your relationship with yourself and your relationship with that future version of you to like channel that right to say the future version of me that's done this like living into that as opposed to looking to the past for all the evidence why it's too hard and you can't do it yeah yeah, it's so true. This is it's so hard to rewire people's brains because they've been thinking this way for 30, sure. 40, 50 years and to th- learn a new way of thinking or almost unlearn the way of thinking that they thought was the right way to think to then be like, okay, I need to retrain my brain. It takes time. It's not as simple as like, hey, here's the 30-day program to rewire your brain and start looking at life from a more positive perspective. <laughs> I wish that's all it took. But if you're you know, open to new things like, meditation, positive affirmations, gratitude lists, listening to certain podcasts, this is a good podcast, reading books, uh, hiring a therapist or a life coach, like helping people or, or having people help you see your life through a new lens. Slowly over time, you start to see things differently and you realize that those old stories you were telling yourself start to disappear and you realize those aren't true. And so anyways, um, like I said, it's not as simple as taking a pill and like, boom, you have this body, all uh, you're automatically like happy now. But that's what life's about, you know? Life's yeah. a journey and an adventure and it's meant to be enjoyed. And uh, so, yeah, this is, you know, I'm only 40 years old. I still have a lot more to learn, but this is what I've learned so far. Yeah. yeah. Well, life is a journey. That's a it great a ending point. <laughs> Where can people find you? It's super simple. So my website is fit to fat to fit.com with a number two in between. And then my social media handles are the same, just fit to fat to fit with a number two. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks okay. Taylor Ann. Thank me you on. Drew for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. And it uh, we'll see you around the gym. Yes. We'll see you at the gym. Yes. <laughs> Keep me accountable. There you go. <laughs>